Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call. Pulling you deep into shadow. Twisting your senses. Keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but summer in the Northern Hemisphere is slowly drawing to a close. What that means, though, as I'm reminded by the rapid changing of the store shelves from green to orange, is that we're drawing ever closer to that most spooky of seasons, and my personal favorite, fall. And what I love more than anything is to make this year the most unnervingly unforgettable season yet. How do we do that, you ask? Well, with stories. Tales of the darkest, most disturbing nature. Tales designed to, well, terrify. Yes, submissions. We're open. And we'd love to devour some of your most dastardly tales. TalesToTerrify.com slash submissions is where you'll find all of the details. Also, as I mentioned last week, we're on the lookout for a few new narrators. So, if you've got a microphone, a quiet recording space, and vocal cords capable of harnessing the forces of darkness and funneling them through sound waves into the ears of unsuspecting victims, I mean, loyal listeners, Well, have I got an opportunity for you. Simply submit a clip of your reading to editor at talestoterrify.com. We're dying to hear from you. All right, we've got all that sorted, quick and easy. Sounds to me like it's time for some more dark travels. We're slowly zigzagging our way across the Great White North, Canada 
toward my neck of the woods. Most of my formative years were in the city of Calgary, just at the edge of the Alberta foothills. And as a family, we spent many a weekend exploring that side of the Rocky Mountains, visiting parks and lakes, and touring the scenic streets of the quaint mountain tourist town of Banff. As the only real settlement in Canada's oldest national park, there's plenty of history to draw from in the picturesque region. From rugged mountain terrain and dense pine forest, to deep cerulean lakes and pristine glaciers and ice fields, there's a haunting kind of majesty to the place. Beautiful, yet brutal. But not all of the majesty of Banff comes from its natural surroundings. Opened in 1888, the Banff Springs Hotel is one of the earliest of Canada's grand railway hotels, one of which, the Empress Hotel in Victoria, B.C., we heard about a little while ago. As you drive up the road to the property, you'd be forgiven for thinking you were pulling up to some kind of mountainside palace. In winter, especially, the unique architecture and carved stone exterior almost give the impression you've been transported to some medieval village in the Swiss Alps. Over the years, the Banff Springs Hotel has regularly played host to the rich and famous. In fact, back in another life, when I was a young, brash magazine editor, I got to attend the annual celebrity gala there. The highlight of my evening? Getting cut off in the drink line by NYPD Blue star Dennis Franz. Hitting the pool alongside a gaggle of Baldwins was a close second. But long before the Baldwins, before TV for that matter, the hotel was a common place for the famous and wealthy to gather for events. But not all of those events ended happily. The Banff Springs Hotel was about as grand and opulent a place as you could imagine for a wedding in 1920. Huge ornate stone ceilings, a vast ballroom, and gorgeous curving marble staircases. It's the sort of place every bride dreams of getting married. Sure, she was a little nervous, but as friends and family began to arrive outside, our bride was filled with anticipation. The ceremony that was to join her to the love of her life was closer with every passing minute. Tradition, of course, meant she wasn't able to see her betrothed before the ceremony. But young and deeply in love, every hour away from him seemed like an eternity. Along with her bridesmaids, she was preparing for the big event in a room on the second floor. Having her makeup done, her hair styled, and, most importantly, being fitted, cinched, and laced into an extravagant wedding gown. Given the gown and the setting, she couldn't help but feel like a princess. As they finished getting ready, the bridesmaids and others filed out of the room, heading down to join the growing crowd of guests, leaving the bride alone. It was nearly her time. The ceremony was about to begin. She exited the room herself, giddy with excitement, and began to descend the marble staircase eagerly envisioning her magical grand entrance. 
but as she hurried down the stairs, the heel of one of her shoes caught in the hem of her gown, and before she could catch herself, she began to tumble headfirst down the marble staircase, hitting the tile of the ground floor with a heavy, jarring crunch. Crumpled and broken, her body lay twisted at the bottom of the staircase, blood blossoming like crimson flowers on the white of her dress, as the cheerful sound of the bridal march began to drift from the other room. While that cruel twist of fate would prevent her from ever making it to the altar, her spirit hasn't given up quite yet. She can frequently be seen standing on that same staircase, still wearing her wedding gown, or sometimes spinning and twirling alone in the ballroom, face covered in a soft lace veil, pining for the dance she never had. The ghost bride of the Banff Springs Hotel is easily the most famous specter in the hotel. In fact, she's been featured on both an official Canadian coin and postage stamp, but she's far from the only spook. Late one afternoon, two elderly women were returning to their room after a day exploring the streets and shops of the little tourist town. They were exhausted, arms laden with bags of souvenirs and treats. When they arrived at their room, though, the key refused to work. No amount of sliding or jiggling the card in the lock would produce the affirmative beep and green light from the electronic lock. Rather than trek all the way back down to the lobby, they set down their bags, took a seat at a small table in the hallway, and picked up the courtesy phone. Someone will be up shortly, the voice on the other end assured. But as the minutes ticked past without a bellman in sight, they began to get more fidgety and impatient. One of the women got up to try the card again. As she fiddled with the lock, turned the card this way, then that, a voice came from behind her. Could I help you, ma'am? A man's voice, thick with a Scottish accent. Finally, some help. She turned to see an elderly man with a warm smile and a shock of white hair. He wasn't dressed like a bellhop, not exactly, anyway. Instead of the crisp white shirt of the typical hotel uniform, he wore a green plaid jacket, which seemed old and faded, much like the man himself. But his name tag clearly identified him as Head Bellman. She stepped back from the door, and without another word, he reached for the handle and swung the door open. With a flourish and a slight bow, he helped collect their bags and waved them into their room before disappearing. Minutes later, as the two women unpacked in their room, a knock came at the door. A young bellman in a typical white shirt of hotel staff. Sorry I'm so late. I got tied up. You got the key to work? He asked. No, the woman said. An older gentleman helped us out. The head bellman. I think his name tag said he was Sam? The young man's perplexed expression curled into a smile at the name. Sam, he repeated. Scottish? Plaid jacket? 
That's the one, she confirmed. He smiled again, nodded, and left. Sam had worked at the hotel, been head bellman for many years, as a matter of fact, had loved his job. But Sam had also died decades earlier. The old Scotsman wasn't about to let a thing like death stand in the way of performing his duties, though. There have been numerous tales of the helpful spirit showing up to assist guests with luggage, performing wake-up calls, and helping them to find their rooms, then disappearing before the guests can even give him a tip. When it comes to disappearing acts, though, there's one more tale from the Banff Springs Hotel that really takes the cake. Easily one of the most notorious mysteries of the hotel is the tale of Room 873, a room that, if you visit the hotel, has become famous for one very peculiar reason. It doesn't exist. Where every other floor of the hotel has a door to a room in this stretch of corridor ending in 73, the eighth floor has nothing but blank wall. Strangely, that empty wall has become somewhat of a tourist attraction itself. Years ago, a man was said to have murdered his wife and young daughter in a fit of bloody rage in room 873. The crime was so violent and horrendous that, despite the room being cleaned and refurbished afterward, guests who stayed there would flee in the middle of the night, afraid for their lives, driven out by horrible disembodied shrieks and bloody handprints appearing on the bathroom mirror and walls. The problem became so frequent and so violent that not only did the hotel stop renting the room, they had the doorway bricked over and the staff was ordered to deny the room ever existed. Of course, denial doesn't stop the rumor mill, does it? As I mentioned, rooms ending in 73 were on every other floor in that same stretch of hallway. There was also a light above where the doorway should be, too, just like above all the other doorways in the hall. And the baseboard was missing in exactly the place a door would have stood. Soon people discovered that if you knock on the wall where the room should be, you can hear a change in the sound of the wall, too. It becomes hollow. Now, I wouldn't recommend wandering the hall and tapping. There's a good chance there's someone very much alive on the other side who wouldn't appreciate it. The hidden room, it seems, in recent years was incorporated into the adjoining suite to make one extra-large room. But a story like that doesn't disappear quietly and the curiosity of visitors who've heard the legend continues to draw those to the spot where the door once stood. Staff remain incredibly evasive if asked about the room, denying any knowledge that it existed. But many guests still claim to encounter remnants of the violent act that occurred there. In particular, the spirit of a young girl who wanders that stretch of hallway as if lost and who vanishes into the empty wall when approached. It seems some rumors, like the spirits that inspired them, simply refuse to die. 
Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. We have one story this evening, which comes to us from Joshua Robinson. Joshua Robinson is a dark fiction writer living in London, England. His work has appeared in Coffin Bell, and Night Picnic, among others. He is currently working on a horror novella and can be found enjoying movies of the same genre in his downtime. Children of the Night, join me for Joshua Robinson's Home, a Tales to Terrify original. Jake gazed out at the blood-orange sky and the tranquil sea that lapped at the sand. Breathing in the salty air, he turned to the gorgeous brunette sitting hunched up beside him, his hands cold and clammy. The moment he'd both dreaded and longed for had come at last. Still don't get why you chose Scotland, Lucy said. Could have gone to Spain or Santorini, you know, somewhere with a sun. Sure, Jake said, could have. But there's something special about the Isle of Barra. Take a look around. She peered left and right. At what? Exactly, he flashed a smile. We've practically got the place to ourselves. Lucy rolled her eyes and crossed her arms. We're freezing our asses off, but yeah, thank God for the peace and quiet. Jake ran his fingers over the suede box in his cargo shorts pocket. Still there, good like the last dozen times he'd checked. A cold breeze brushed by but hardly raised a hair on his numb body. Every part of him focused on nailing the next words to leave his mouth. On the question. Lucy, <clears throat> he cleared his throat. Lucy, I... Right, she stood and dusted herself off. I'm heading back. Coming? You got my name wrong, he said, standing. What? When we met... You wrote Jasper on my coffee cup, he laughed. How do you get Jasper from Jake? She shrugged. I don't know. Come on, let's eat. 
That mistake got me to talk to you proper. Got us to where we are now, if you think about it. Jake! But this... He swallowed and got down on one knee, taking out and raising the blue box in front of him. This is the furthest thing from mistake. She stepped back and lifted a hand to her mouth. I love you, Lucy Crawford. Have done for three years and will do for many more. He opened the box. Will you be my... No. His smile shriveled, his gaze dropped to the sand. For a second, he felt he was floating. No. The word hung there, suspended by the thick silence between them. Jake held his pose. He dragged his eyes up her legs, past her chest, and met her hazel ones staring down at him. I don't... um... I'm going inside, she backed away. I'll find us a table. Right, yeah, uh, sure. She turned and made her way up the grassy hill towards the hotel. Jake lowered his arms and got to his feet. No. He'd known rejection was an outcome, but not for him. Not from her. Goose pimples broke out across his skin as a bitter breeze wafted by. The ring in his hands sparkled a mocking wink at him. He'd half a mind to hurl the thing into the sea, as though it were to blame and not him. But instead, he closed the box, stuffed it into his pocket, and marched up the hill behind her. Let's eat, then. The massive multi-paned window opposite their table overlooked the blackening sea. Gulls cawed in the distance beyond as Jake toyed with his asparagus. How many of those birds had snapped their necks against the glass hoping to get at the food? At bread and battered sausages or juicy steaks like the one Lucy had nearly devoured across from him? She'd been chattier than usual this evening, talking about the places they should visit tomorrow and activities they ought to try. Things that were beside the point. Kissimmee Castle, she said. A five-minute boat trip from Castle Bay. What do you think? The chatter of five or six others in the vast dining room prevented total silence. The elderly couple at the neighbouring table were among them. They held hands in the middle as they spoke, so taken with each other after all these years. How lovely. Jake? Hmm? The castle? He bit the head off his asparagus, then lowered his fork. Are we not going to talk about it? Pretend nothing happened? Lucy sighed. Can't it wait till we get back to London? I need to know there's a future here. What we're even doing. Well, we're supposed to be enjoying a holiday. Instead, you spring this on me. She dabbed her lips with a napkin. That was the whole point of coming here. His eyes drifted to his plate. Do you still love me? Christ, cut the drama. She grinned and put a hand on his. Look, nothing's changed. But the fact is, life's unpredictable. Who knows what might happen in the future? Why bother with the hassle of getting married? Besides, we more or less are already. All that's missing is the bit of paper that says so. I can type one up for us, make it look official on everything. Sound good? He pulled away and sat back, casting a glance out of the window. Right, sorted, she sipped her red wine. Now about the castle. Whatever you want. Throwing a tantrum, are we? Grow up, Jake. Not at all. Just don't see why I should care, because who knows what might change tomorrow, right? Nodding. 
She licked her teeth and stood. You're absolutely right. Wait, I'm sorry. Lucy threw down her napkin. Enjoy your moping. She stormed off through the tables towards the reception and turned left up the stairs out of sight. Jake pinched above his nose. Idiot. And when he looked up, found the elderly couple studying him with beady eyes. He forced a smile, got up and wandered over to the bar. Drowning in whiskey and self-pity was preferable to whatever shitty feeling now stirred in his stomach. Or maybe that was the fibre-filled asparagus at work. Who fucking cared? What can I get you? I'll have a Jack Daniels. Neat. The bartender nodded, then prepared and handed him his drink. Cheers. Jake emptied his glass in one gulp. One down, half a dozen more, and today never happened. You're too good for her, you know. A woman's voice on his left. Not quite Scottish or English or any accent he could place. But it was silky. The words spoken so smoothly they seemed almost artificial. And when he turned his head he saw that the specimen it belonged to sat facing him on a stool with one shapely leg over the other was even more beautiful. I'm sorry? He didn't realise he'd moved until taking a seat in front of her reeled in by her emerald eyes. Then his own traversed her flowing orange locks, full breasts and curvaceous body hugged by a cobalt dress. She smiled, her crimson lips stark against her porcelain skin. I said, you're too good for her. Try telling Lucy that, he grinned, and so did she. Fancy a proper drink? What am I doing? She raised her bottled water. I'm all fine. And all ears, what happened? Oh, nothing special. Classic case of man on knee gets flattened. She doesn't want to get married. After three years. Three! Jake sighed. Honestly, I'm not sure where we go from here, if anywhere at all. He frowned. Why am I telling her this? The woman nodded, and her eyes fell to the bar top. Blind to what's in front of her. That's a pity. A shame and a waste. What about you? Are you, um, uh, involved? She met his gaze. I've been alone a long time. He'd have rolled his eyes or cracked a smile if not for the sorrow painted across her face and the seriousness of her tone. It's quiet where I'm from, she said. No one around to connect with, you know. And I could never move away, because it's still home and always will be. Ah, right. Can't imagine how lonely that gets. No. You can't. Jake ordered a second drink and downed half while the woman finished the rest of her water. Water at a bar? She was either quirky or disciplined and health conscious. Her figure very much implied the latter. So where is this quiet town you're from? Nearby, she answered. Oh, what brings you to Barra then? Visit here often, or... She leaned in close, and a scent like salted caramel filled his nose. I'm here for the same thing you are. He swallowed, his eyes constantly drifting to those perfect lips. What might that be? You want someone to spend your life with. Someone to have and to hold until the day you pass from this world. Someone to return all that and more. She reached down and squeezed his knee. And like I said, you're far too good for the blind girl. His pants 
tightened at her touch, his pounding heart more than apparent as she leaned in closer. And closer, her breath cool on his chin, his lips. No, Jake pulled away and stood. I should be getting back. Big day planned tomorrow, seeing a castle. He hurriedly paid the bartender before facing her a final time. Pleasure meeting you, Bethany. She got up and shook his hand. I'm Bethany. Jake, I'm Jake. His hand lingered in hers. Well, good night. He turned to leave, but she grabbed his arm and whispered right into his ear, Meet me on the beach in an hour. Or don't, your choice. Then she rounded the corner after throwing a wink his way. Jake half fell back against the bar, mouth agape, gobsmacked. What the hell just happened? The bartender, polishing a glass, raised his bushy eyebrows. Go for it, laddie. Jake smiled and nodded, speechless, before walking to the reception. It couldn't just go for it. Could he? Yet he was, having now reached the stairs, on his way up to a girl who didn't deserve him. But that wasn't true. Whiskey talk, nothing more. Wasn't it? Crossing the corridor at the top of the stairs, he couldn't wipe off the stupid grin plastered on his face. He couldn't for the life of him figure out either why his stomach fluttered without a shred of guilt. Guilt for wanting to tear Bethany's dress off then and there with his teeth. Take a right on the bar top in front of Mr. Eyebrows, him chanting over and over, That's it, laddie, there you go. He gave a short laugh once he reached the door to his room. Their room, him and Lucy's, he remembered with a sigh. Bethany and Jake. That sounded so right. Jake tossed and turned in bed for nearly an hour, checking his phone every two minutes like clockwork. Lucy had been asleep when he came in and had kissed her teeth at him more than once for being noisy. His eyes drilled holes in the back of her head. What right did she have to be mad at him about anything? None whatsoever was what. Not for being restless and not for thinking non-stop of Bethany, of her orange hair dangling over his face, tickling his cheeks, of her ample breasts on his chest while they tongue-wrestled. Fucking hell, Viagra couldn't have made you this hard. Yet it was much more than lust, too. He sat up and checked his phone again. 22.50. Ten minutes until his chance vanished forever. No, I can't. He fell back on his pillow, squeezing his eyes shut and racking his brain for the good times between him and Lucy. But now, every memory appeared tainted in one way or another. Her clinging to his arm while ice skating, ice shuffling more like, while others whizzed past them, didn't seem cute, but rather a nuisance in retrospect that made the whole activity pointless. Especially as she liked to go often. And likewise, their dieting as a couple outside of holidays wasn't so much a display of partnership as her making him eat miserably too. Neither of them was fat or unfit to begin with. As for sex, it must have been at least two weeks without, not to mention the numerous times she'd insisted on hand and mouth stuff instead. Maybe they were already married. Then again, he'd bet his life the old man at dinner still got his fair share of action, more than Jake at least. He picked up his phone again. 22.55. Screw it. Jake slipped out of bed and groped in the dark for his short sweater and shoes. He deserved better than waiting around twiddling his thumbs while Lucy figured out what she wanted. 
or who she wanted. Whatever the case may be, Lucy groaned. Shit. She rolled over and half sat up on her elbows. Babe, what are you... What time is it? He stood frozen by the door, shoes in hand. Just popping out for some air. Can't sleep. Won't be long. Without answering, she fell back with a low grunt. Jake exhaled. After putting his shoes on, he left the room, crossing the corridor in a jog before rushing down the stairs. He passed the vacant reception and stepped out of the hotel and into the night. The crisp air bit through his sweater as he descended the stone path to the shore. Making love on the beach would be interesting and itchy, not that that would ruin anything. Not with someone like her. When he reached the bottom, he turned in all directions, but only barren stretches of pasty sand and weathered rocks, like moulded black crust lining the grassy hills, met his gaze. He ripped his phone from his pocket. 2306. Don't tell me I missed her. Hoping to spot her further down the beach, he squelched alongside the water to the left. However, he quickly recognised more of the same, with the exception of the looming hill in the distance, towering against the empty sky. No sign of her, not here or anywhere. Bollocks. He stopped and faced the roaring sea, allowing the icy water to lap his shoes and ankles. Typical. Of course she hadn't shown up. It was just another trick, like believing for a second that Lucy would say yes to his proposal. And why would she? Come on, Jake, why would she have said yes to a low-wage postman with zero ambition? You're the blind one, not her. Jaw clenched, he tore out the ring box still in his pocket. What a joke. He leaned back, then threw it as hard and far as possible, watching the wet blackness swallow it whole. Right where it belongs. He nodded, sighed, then turned to leave. To go back to his room, to Lucy, and pretend everything was A-OK. That tonight was a mere blip and an otherwise perfect... A gust of wind struck his back. Turned around, half frozen. Because with it came a sound, riding the waves towards him, sending tingling ripples up and down his body. Faint. Harmonious a gentle humming that pulled him forwards a step at a time while setting his insides ablaze. For a moment, everything went black, and when he opened his eyes, assuming he'd closed them, he found himself thigh-deep in the tepid water, his clothes floating around him. But no questions sprang to mind and no fear settled in him, even as his legs marched him deeper of their own volition. Only a wild, scalding urgency existed to seek and embrace the source of this magnificent melody. Jake plunged into the water from waist level, throwing his arms back and forth, cutting it with the precision of an athlete swimmer. The splashing, distant, roaring and constant lowering and lifting of his head with each breath did nothing to stop the humming reaching his ears with perfect clarity. Exotic and nostalgic at the same time, the rhythm brought to the surface of his mind the fondest experiences of childhood. From the comfort of his mother's lullaby to the flying sparks of his first kiss, intense longing consumed him. But how am I doing this? How am I not tired? At the same time, facing down with every stroke, the thought that anything could seize him at any moment clawed the back of his brain. Any number of things lurking in the black depths below, 
pull me under and end me. But Jake kept his pace, surpassed it, gaining on the sound, allowing it to blindly steer him to its source. Home. Yet it nagged him like an itch, the fact that he was exposed out here, bound to fatigue, freeze and sink sooner or later. Wouldn't he? Naked and exposed and... Good God, so was she! Lying on her stomach by the entrance of a black yawning cave was Bethany, humming that heavenly tune and stirring the water with one finger. Her breasts pushed against the wet rock beneath her as her unblemished backside curved smoothly upwards. Her reality trumped his imagination tenfold. As to whether he'd swum here in a straight line or bended round the larger part of the aisle, he had no clue, had no real care either. She grinned and curled a finger at him, as though to say, Get your ass up here, handsome. And he did, paddling towards the slope with ecstatic eagerness. Once up, Bethany stood and kissed him as he pressed himself against her. He brought his mouth down to one pink nipple, sucked, gripped and moaned, while basking in that intoxicating caramel aroma. Glad you could make it, she said, giggling and cradling his head. He rose and caressed her cheek in his palm. Bethany, how... what are you? Yours. Smiling ear to ear, she took his hand and led him inside the cave. The myriad of questions he had were quashed by her touch before they could even take shape, replaced with a crippling bliss that flooded his being. What mattered was they were together and nothing else. The stench of rotting fish found his nostrils in the grainy darkness. Glancing all around him, he saw no carcasses anywhere. No rocks or boulders either, only shallow tracks of different widths lining the ground towards the entrance. Had they been shifted out into the sea? By who and why? He couldn't hazard a guess, but then didn't quite care to. Bethany stopped. Her eyes were fixed on a massive structure jutting out of the end wall. Razor teeth ringed a gaping mouth and pitch blackness lay between them. What the hell is that? he asked, half wincing, because the dead smell seemed to come directly out of it. Bethany kissed his forehead. I knew you'd choose me. I'm going to treat you like the king you are. Forever, my love. Forever. That sounded so right. As they approached, Jake observed scales carved along the structure's profile. It had reptilian slit eyes that looked almost alive, so intricate was the design. In fact, the entire head did, comparable to a dragon or sea serpent's. He stepped back and swallowed. That's not a statue. That's a fossil. Bethany pulled him forwards before he could turn away. She cupped his face with her hands and spoke slowly, her gaze boring into his. You're okay. The words quelled his jackhammering heart. I'm okay, he repeated, nodding. I'm okay. He shook his head then allowed ecstasy to sink in one more, shuddering with pleasure as his eyes feasted on the naked beauty before him. I need you so bad. Jake wrapped his arms around her waist and pulled her towards him. 
Soon, she said, but first I need you to lie down and keep quiet. What? Jake frowned, but found his body submitting to the request of his own will, as though her velvet words carried some unseen weight that pushed and pinned him to the cold, moist ground. There, she added. Now we can begin. Bethany strolled up to the gargantuan head, her round cheeks lifting and dropping with each step, and got down on her knees before it. Then she threw her head back and her arms up in worship. What is this? Why the fuck can't I? Master, maker, almighty leviathan, dread servant, titan, mouth of the deep, thank you, thank you, a million times thank you for granting me a body anew to walk and talk as those on land, to hide and dwell within their bands, to seek and find a love my own. Gratitude, gratitude for the grace you have shown. Jake tried to move, squirm, something, but the cord connecting mind and body was severed and he lay there limp, trapped in his body as terror twisted his heart. Cold sweat pooled on his skin and his mouth, it wouldn't open. Why couldn't he speak? What was this? A final favour I now ask to lend your power for this final task. Return me to my own true form, and then, my lover, let us transform. With every fibre of strength, he budged his lips, parted them just enough. Bethany didn't answer. She sat with both legs straight out and pressed together. Then she laid one hand on the chin of that mammoth head. Jake lifted his own a fraction, throat dry as dirt. He sucked in half a breath before unleashing a hard, muffled growl. Bethany! She put a finger to her lips. Hush now, love. Won't be long. Promise. Bubbling surrounded the cave, distant but unmistakable. The ground warmed beneath him and heat seemed to pour from that jagged mouth to nowhere. Surely... Surely the sea couldn't be boiling. Then came a sizzling, followed by the stench of burning flesh from between Bethany's legs. Between her legs where skin melded together, lines and creases merging into one right the way down to her heels. And her toes, they vanished too. Her feet, two featureless flippers. She panted and tensed, clawing at the rock with her free hand, her howls of pain bouncing off the rugged walls. Christ, it's moving! The one limb, it thrashed and beat the ground at the same time changing from a creamy white to an oily black. Then the one leg snapped back at the knees with a crack and her piercing shriek split his ears. Bones crunched, breaking in impossible places, at impossible angles. A writhing snake coming alive as scales sprouted all over the nightmare appendage. Over a tail one that shimmered despite the absence of light. The creature, mermaid, face drenched in sweat, smiled as though at a newborn babe, marvelling in wonder at her curved fins. Your power is great, my father. Then her eyes met his. He hadn't noticed them change. Why would he, of all things? They were larger, 
rounder, and a thick cloudy layer coated them, but still they faintly shone like a cat's in the dead of night. She dragged herself towards him, pebbles scraping beneath that clumsy limb. She climbed on top of him, her breasts pressed to his chest as she stroked aside his damp fringe. Gills opened up on either side of her neck like tiny mouths as she flashed her box-cutter teeth in a wicked smile, and her hair, those orange locks brushing and tickling his cheeks, they were stringy, a wig that didn't fit right on that slender head. Speak, lover. And he could, thank God he could. What? What are you... What's... What's going... Happen, please, I... She planted slippery lips on his. It's your turn. My turn? A shrill laugh burst forth from his mouth and tears ran back into his hair. He whimpered, snapping his head left and right. The mermaid cast a backwards glance towards the Black Sea at the other end of the cave, so near and yet so far. And then, dearest, we can go home. That was Joshua Robinson's Home, as read by Graham Dunlop. Graham Dunlop is a software solution architect and voice actor living in Melbourne, Australia. He is the co-editor of the fantasy podcast Podcastle and used to host the YA podcast Cast of Wonders. He occasionally tweets as at Kibitzer on Twitter. Thank you, Graham. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters through Patreon and PayPal. If you're not already a supporter, head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify for a look at all the awesome perks from ad-free episodes and bonus content to shout-outs and swag. Every dollar helps, and we appreciate it so much. If you're looking for another way to help, why not drop a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Ratings and reviews are an easy way to show your appreciation and help us spread the darkness. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we unlock new terrors with more Tales to Terrify.
Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.